I'm going to have to look that up. Aloha, everyone. Brian here. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe wherever you are in the world, enjoying your turn to autumn in the north, or your, I would say, turn to spring in the south, but where I am, it is pretty close to summer. We've had some beautiful days, a very, very hot day the other day, abnormally hot, even for uh, here in Australia, but I guess for this time of year, I'm sure that it will get warmer. So in trying to restructure the way that I put out podcasts and more importantly how I think about them I talked a few episodes ago about approaching episodes with a couple different themes focusing on maybe one of the games and I shouldn't say maybe I really need to focus on the games that I've been purchasing and building up if for no other reason than to finish my reading through them maybe motivate me to to get a game in find a game online and give some thoughts and if nothing else because this is what I've picked up from others and, and it's kind of motivated me to do this. T- to me, listening to others talk about different game systems or reading reading about them, not strictly reviews, but just exposes me to new ideas. And of course, I was motivated to get into a lot of these games, at least purchase them and, and start to read through them from listening to others. And in some cases, it was the system. In some cases, it was the setting uh, or the authors involved uh, or some neat mechanics. So by doing that, as I said, it, it helps me get more out of the game and maybe passes on a little something or reminds somebody. Uh, also opens up to some comments, which, which is always helpful because if there's something that's hard to understand or maybe a different take on it that can make it better, those are always really helpful too. But the other topics that I wanted to talk about uh, some things more specific, more advanced, some advanced seminars here in the uh, newly established uh, university that is trying to return to in-person classes, except obviously our one student has not gotten the message and had his multiple personalities show up because the uh, lecture hall is vacant. But some more DCC topics and a couple other things, mainly a series on 5e and that's what I'll talk about briefly here Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition or how I learned to stop worrying and love 5e which is a bit tongue-in-cheek I, I don't know that I would say that I love 5e I do like 5e uh, and perhaps like many people feel that I guess for today and especially for someone who came back into the game not long after it was launched overall I think for maybe where the the game system was headed and especially considering that Wizards of the Coast is part of a large you know toy and game company Hasbro I I think it is done very well lots of things to discuss debate about it and the rules lots of ways to modify but by and large what I would say that it's done is helped to rejuvenate some people may say rejuvenate and we may go way back to RPG economics and, and talk about the effect or not effect. But I'd say by and large, you, you want to see, or at least those of us who like Dungeons and Dragons, me, likes to see a healthy version of the game. 
getting played, getting publicity. Uh, in some cases, maybe a bit, you know, too much on the who's who and who's playing what, and and you know, a little bit less on the content. But the thing that I'll talk about here with Five E in these sessions is there is an opportunity for some tremendous third-party content. And so in future sessions, I think I'll go into depth in some of the, the modules and adventures that I picked up, uh, not just from Goodman Games, but from a lot of other independent publishers, you know, people who are either do, you know, doing this probably with great difficulty full-time uh, or part-time, <laughs> because um, I, I know that most people at least understand, I understand this, that this line of work probably pays, uh, you know, quite poorly for the amount of time you have to invest in it. So from that aspect, it's great to see the ability of people to be able to put out such high quality material, in some cases at really, really great prices. And it gives me, I guess, a bit of hope. So the optimistic side that even if you're not much into 5e, that as a whole is great because you'll get designers who will do stuff for 5e and maybe do something for another game or another effort, maybe even their own game. What I really, though, want to focus on, I guess, specifically for the rest of this episode and, and why I've kind of come, I guess, to embrace or love 5e is one that's the main game that, that I play with my son or that he's into. And... I've gone back from kind of the, maybe the, you know, the paradox of choice or, you know, being paralyzed by the amount of choices, you know, the amount of material that's out there, because there's a lot. It's, you know, as we say, the golden age of RPGs and D&D is no exception. And I can understand the pushback, and I've talked about it, that when Wizards of the Coast rolls out new books, the price of them... They do look good, you know, they, they publish an alternate cover just for game stores, which, which I do think is a really good idea. And as I've said, we've, we've, pur we've purchased one. I've, I've looked for others when I could get it. It's been a little bit more difficult during the pandemic and I don't really, I think, scour or contact, uh, in this case, my new local game store as much as possible. But looking beyond that and going back to the basics, if you boil it down, and this is heavily influenced by the lazy DM, 5e can be a fairly lean, easy system to run. Now, this would be starting from maybe the point that I started from, which is someone who played a long time ago, played mostly BX and a bit of first edition AD&D. Didn't go through the rest of the version, so I had to make a few changes. Coming into 5e and starting with the free basic rules and then the starter sets. And going from there, and I think one of the ways that I really learned to love this 5e experience is that you can do it and customize it. I like the idea, and when we got, we actually went through both the starter set and the essentials kit. Maybe it was starter kit and essentials kit. I'm not sure the exact titles anymore. We've, we've passed them on, I'd say, repackaged them for others, just because we didn't need to play that adventure anymore. And both recipients were newer players and loved the fact that we were able to give it to them. But something about a box set and the newer box sets, newer games that are coming out, get, gets me excited because it, it's a bit of nostalgia, but I like being able to open it up, have 
some form of introduction to the game, maybe some more detailed rules, having an adventure. Having dice always helps. Most people probably don't need more dice. I guess it's not really a need, but <laughs> it's just, it's something that gets your attention. And I remember even when my son, he hadn't played yet, but just the box, the D&D starter set got his attention. Um, the books are still gorgeous, and we've got the core three, obviously. We've got the Young Adventures Guide. So whenever I think about, you know, the, I guess the, the price of admission, and this is something to argue about, and, and, and I think it's very valid to compare, you know, getting into, say, 5e, you know, the core Dungeons and & Dragons, and looking at the buy-in value of having three books really to complete your experience versus in some other games, one book, you know, or even a, a smaller set of books, you know, two books, I'd say, or three books that are affordable. I think those are valid, but the way that I look at it and the way that I really embrace it is I try to go back to basics. So even though we have those books to keep me from getting too bogged down and to keep me from worrying too much about every aspect is just running things from basic premises looking at the basic rules, looking at basic encounters, again, running from the lazy DM playbook. And then, of course, having the, you know, having the, the monster manual or having being able to access the stats, most of which are online or you know, found in the SRD or even the basic rules, um, is really more what I need. And the other thing that it tends to do, and again, this is going to depend on your gaming group or those you play with, is it it gives a bit more freedom. And I'm trying to come back to that now, even though we're struggling through Tomb of Annihilation and really only struggling <laughs> through it because uh, we've had a few sed- schedule setbacks of being able to sit down and devote enough time to lengthy sessions. So in a lot of the chapters, th- those of you who have gone through these will, will empathize, em- I guess, uh, empathize with the the trouble. And, and it's maybe part of maybe what I think I'm staying away from at this point is that the big hardcover 5e books are really carefully laid out. There's a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot of great stuff in Tomb of Annihilation. As a side note, there's a lot of kind of bad stuff that I'm hoping will get corrected in the way that they uh, treat, as you can say, I guess the, the uh, citizens, the residents of Chult and, and some other things really didn't need to be in there. But in terms of an adventure, it's enough to keep you for a year. And I think if you focus on that and you've got one game group who's really invested and you've got a little bit of time to plan it out, maybe not a lot, and use, uh, use Sly Flourish's advice, I, I think it's great. But what I think that tends to do is maybe get in the way of some pickup gaming or, or sometimes when you're, you want to be flexible and maybe you don't have everybody, but you want to sit down and play. And I'm starting to look at running 5e more from a mindset of BX. And, and that's, I'm not saying bending all the rules, although we do have some you know, house rules and I'm thinking of tinkering with initiative, but trying to let the players do things and then me figuring out where it fits in terms of you know, skill checks, instead of being overwhelmed and looking at the list on your sheet and the numbers and the adding is just try to go more with the situation, you know, have them explain what they want to do. You know, the big, obviously the, you know, everyone, everyone every five seconds wants a perception check when they're, when they're rolling in 5e and just modifying it, you know, just having them roll and adjust the numbers either way to fit the situation. Um, and for things that they 
either should be succeeding at or or that would be a good chance allowing that you know partial success and some of these i realize i'm borrowing from other systems and you know other house rules which i think most people do anyway and from that sense thinking about just running some shorter sessions you know letting people take the story where they want to take it and going with that i think could be could be pretty effective when i think back to uh, and i think it was in the essentials kit the dragon of ice uh, of ice spire peak excuse me we the way that the book is set up, for those who don't know, and not to spoil, is you know there's several vignettes. You've got a you've got a, a message board that you can go and take quests from, and it's a little bit. I mean, it's 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 it may be a little bit of combined, maybe mashing up of tropes, I guess, mashing up of electronic bulletin board task rabbit type thing with the old you meet in a tavern, go get your job. But I think it works pretty well, and because what it tended to do is that. Uh, my son and I and a few of his friends and actually a few uh, camping neighbors that we met at one point and wanted to play, it was pretty easy for them to basically just take a, a pre-gen character. In this case, they played before. So we were able to say, okay, we'll, we'll run one of these scenarios. And, and I, I skimmed it to get ready. And, you know, they were on D&D Beyond. They're like, okay, we'll generate a first level whatever, bring them. And we went through it, and we had three hours of a session that was fantastic. It wasn't a very difficult, you know, adventure to run, and it was nicely laid out. And also during that, we didn't try to focus too much on, or at least I didn't, and mostly because, as I said, to try to make it easier and to not get bogged down too much and to let it play out and really just have a good time. It, it helped just to you know, let go of different things. And I don't think any of this is new because I think there are a lot of games where DMs do this. I mean, you know, all the OSR rulings over rules, etc. I'm not sure. It, it's one of those things that I'm not sure that I've really, other than reading about it and listening to podcasts and occasionally talking about it, I'm not sure that I really have, have seen how much of that I may put into how I approach 5e. But what I've found is that you can just run that and tailor it to your needs. It sounds a little simplistic to say. And again, this is obviously influenced by the lazy DM, which we talked about last week. And it's helped me to see this. And what I have found, and it may help that we've not really been in a game group with anyone who's been really invested in 5e, you know, gone full in, and, you know, almost bordering in kind of, you know, rules lawyer or what their characters want to do or not do. And I've tried to emphasize to my son that it's great that he gets very excited about mostly the spell casting classes and researches the spells and wants to do certain things and this and that. And we weave that into the story. And I think he's at the point where he's very excited by that and, and fits into the story and is not as concerned as much with the the pedantics of the rules that hey if i'm doing this spell and i'm this far away and this is my bonus and i want to do this and this is what the you know the player handbook says i can get at this level and that and the thing that it lets i guess both of us do is it lets him research in a way and read and get very interested in that lore but when we come to the game table it doesn't become 
uh, anything that's antagonistic between a player and a GM. And so that may be something that I, I just haven't seen. I don't play enough in other groups, and I don't play enough 5e definitely to have seen that. So that's, that's I'm sure, a problem in any game system, in any <laughs> series of games you run into that. Uh, I haven't found that. Um, the the last thing I guess I would say is, and, and this just goes with, again, my son was introduced mainly to Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, although heavily influenced by me running it by the basic rules and influenced by what I remembered from BXADD. <laughs> so he doesn't know much else. He, he obviously now has been reading, learning the rules, probably at some point will run a game, and at some point may move on to other games, different games, games I haven't even thought about, games maybe that haven't been created yet, or D&D 6th or 7th edition, whichever comes out. And that's probably how most of us have gone. Many play their first game and stick with that system, move on to something else, never look back to the first game, some combination of those. And from that sense, looking at 5e as, I guess, the representation of just this current incarnation of Dungeons & Dragons and as a, a launching point, you know, and, and I, I don't think it's bad. And tying this into something that uh, if you listen to Roleplay Rescue... The last episode that Shay had, 918, I'm playing the Infinite Game. I definitely won't get into this, but if you are really interested in all in, in looking at kind of a, a macroscopic view of role-playing and, and maybe some better ways to frame why why we, and I'll say we generally play, and maybe why why you would play, thinking about games in terms of finite or infinite games and viewing your role-playing that way, I'm definitely in the camp of viewing it as an infinite game from the sense of not necessarily one infinite campaign, although that there are many times when I, I wish that I was a part of that or had been a part of that over the years, but because what that brings you is that brings you the experience of being with a gaming group, being with friends, making new friends. And even if you're not necessarily playing the same game or with all the same people, you're playing to play. You're kind of satisfying that that infinite game itch, if you will. And to me, I think 5e can help with that. It's not everything. And it's definitely not the only game that I play and want to play. And if I had my choice, I probably would not sit down with a group and run it. However, especially for many people who are looking to get into the game, and by being the game, I guess, the, the role-playing game hobby that's a good entry point it's it's a bit mainstream but it's Dungeons and dragons my 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 uh my craft beer analogies would come into play um because i've had many debates over the years and still defend that early on when craft beer was microbrewed in the states and so I'm thinking back to university days for me and some of the, I guess, first beer that I really truly appreciated uh, other than the, uh, the longtime stalwarts, Guinness. Uh, Watney's Cream Stout, for any of you who remember that, that was a good one. We were blessed to have access to Sierra Nevada, Pale Ale, one of the classics. 
Sam Adams was was coming out at the time, and I'll defend it because again, Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada, you know these these first run beers, you know that were craft beers, were different and kind of set the standards and still exist today, but they're not going to be maybe the newest hazy upside down IPA. They probably make those. I think they do actually, but are still great beers. And in some ways, they're great beers for people to come into, I guess, if you're, you know, looking to get into beer or taste some good beers, they're great ways to introduce people if they're used to, uh, as I first were, was, uh, you know, uh, natural light or Schlitz or Peels or any of those. Um, but at the same token, they're also a great beer to order. You know, my personal favorite was, uh, oh God, I think it was, I was in the Navy and I, I ended up, uh, I got to get some time off and go up to Seattle to see one of my other friends in the Navy and hang out in Seattle for a couple days, which is fantastic. And so obviously being the Northwest in the late 90s, you know, still the you know lingering grunge era, plenty of great craft beer. But one that I had that was not from the Northwest, as we sampled, was a beer from New Belgium Brewing Company in Colorado, Fat Tire, which I loved and still love. And it's the kind of beer, or I guess the, the point of all this is, you know, the, the, these beers, for those of us who, uh, who appreciate beer, are still around today and still great choices. They're not going to be the newest, greatest things. They're still quality products. And in some ways, the way that I, I, I start to look at 5e that way, it's still great to sit down and play a session of it. It's still not going to be for everyone. But for me, it's helped get me back into and probably will help keep me in the hobby. We'll see how it goes. So the reference to beers also, I had... I'd called into Jason's uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast because he did a great session with Joe Richter on Cyberpunk 2020, another great game that I'm going to have to talk about at some point because I picked up that bundle <laughs> with the red jumpstart. And it was great just hearing them share beers virtually and, and discuss them. And so uh, from time to time when I can, I'll include short discussion of sampling of the craft beer scene in Australia, which is which is blooming a little bit behind the US, a little bit behind the UK and some other European countries, but has been going really, really strongly. So some of my favorites uh, I have not had recently. I need to go and get them. Uh, but the one that I have had uh, most recently in my fridge, had one the other night, Fat Yak. Australian pale ale, but very reminiscent of what maybe you'd call an American pale ale style. So it's got a bit more of the hop. And it was also one that, from from what I remember from Fat Yak from Matilda Bay Brewing, has been around in the market for quite a while here. And so I would say this may be one of, at least for me, and this is, uh, I guess, sampling kind of pubs in, you know, the Brisbane area, a little bit in Sydney and Canberra, definitely. So maybe not as much Sydney. They probably had more choice even going back, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. But Fat Yak was one of the first that you would see out as a choice to the big Australian names. 
and we're not talking about the F word, the Fosters. <laughs> we're, uh, we're talking about 4XVB, Carlton, maybe Han, Chewy's, those. But Fat Yak, is, it's, it is not a bad beer at all. It's good. It's got a bit more malt, maybe, I'd say, at least on my palate, uh, than, than, than the hop taste for me. But when you taste it, it tastes like what I would say is a decent craft beer pale ale. There's a few that I definitely like more, and they've actually probably come after Fat Yak. Actually, the one I do like the most has, and we'll get to that in a future episode. But yeah, but yeah, Fat Yak is a pretty good, good solid choice. Uh, if you're looking for something, again, it does have uh, you know a bit of the hop profile that you might be looking for when you're sampling a a craft pale ale, and that's the one for today. So anyway, probably a lot more rambling about how I learned to stop worrying and love 5e than I anticipated. Um, I'll try to get back to a regular schedule. And now that we are in October, I want to talk about one of the games that I've been getting into and I'm hoping at some point to run uh, the starter set in adventures for my son, maybe a few other family members and friends. And that is uh, Call of Cthulhu. So I think the next time I'll start talking about that, uh, mostly the 7th edition starter set. And I've got access to the PDFs, but it will be mm, delivered probably November, December. Who knows down here, maybe even later. But the reprint, the Kickstarter doing the reprint of the 2nd edition that I was I was suckered into, into purchasing. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do so. And this in particular is a game that I... I I heard about, never gave much heed to or interest in. And I just, I'm just not sure why, but now that I had, you know, listened to some folks playing, heard more about it, and then, you know, was able to pick up the starter set and do some reading and then the solo adventure, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued. And I think one of the things that I just did not quite get, which I'll get to, is just you know, at its core, obviously, it's a horror game, and there's multiple iterations, but the investigative nature and the fact that it runs an investigation game in a great way for players, you know, without having them to resort to think they've got to be a Sherlock Holmes and, you know, solve every piece, and then you as the game master keeper to chase down and and backfill when maybe they don't get it or they fail a role. So anyway, we'll get on to that. Again, hope you guys are well and getting through the you know latest COVID Delta strains. Stay safe, stay sane, and enjoy your games. Peace. Mm-hmm.